Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasir Jengda and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us. Jazakumullahu khayran. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi ladhin astafa Khususan ala sayyidi rasuli wa khatamil anbiya Wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latqiya Amma ba'd Ali bin Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu One of the first to accept Islam The cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the son-in-law of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the brother of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the trusted confidant and very close secret keeper of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A person who was a fountain of knowledge. His knowledge inspired the hearts of people, a whole generation. The companions had their eyes locked on Ali radiallahu anh because of his prestige. How important of a person he was during the life of the Prophet of Allah and even after the departure of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa A courageous warrior, a man that had no fear of another human being 
Yet in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he would cry in a manner that you would not even see a baby cry. His tears would soak his beard. He was very afraid of any engagement with the dunya. When speaking to his companions and those around him, he would constantly warn them that be aware of the traps of the dunya. For all spiritual harms and all material harm starts with falling in love with this material world. He was a great poet, a man who had mastery over language and was also a scribe as he was literate in writing. He said in one poem, النفس تبكي على الدنيا وقد علمت النفس تبكي على الدنيا وقد علمت إن السلامة فيها ترك ما فيها لا دار للمرء بعد الموت يسكنها إلا التي كان قبل الموت بانيها The person cries over the dunya. He cries that I didn't get this house, I missed out on that car, I missed this job, I wish I had that opportunity. النفس تبكي على الدنيا وقد علمت However, I have come to know. إن السلامة فيها ترك ما فيها The safest approach to engage with this dunya, this material world, is to avoid it. That's the best way to deal with it. لا دار للمرء بعد الموت يسكنها Because there is no home for a person after he dies. Except for what you have established before you died. The home awaiting for you is actually the home that you built while you were alive. What you did for the Akhirah. The installments and the good deeds that you've pushed forward that are just awaiting. The moment you leave this dunya, they will rush to you and embrace you. Ali radiallahu an was the son of Abu Talib. Abu Talib shared not only father, but also mother with the father of Rasulullah And this is why when Rasulullah's grandfather passed away, he came into the custody of Abu Talib. Not because he was the oldest of the uncles of Rasulullah but because Abdullah and Abu Talib shared both parents. So there was a closer bond and relationship there. Abu Talib died outside of the folds of Islam in the 10th year after prophethood. His mother, Fatima bint Asad, became Muslim and was a dear companion to Rasulullah She passed away after Hijrah. And when she passed away, the Prophet ﷺ had such love and regard for her that he entered into the grave himself. And the Prophet ﷺ was by her side throughout the entire process. Rasulullah ﷺ made special dua for her. Ali radiallahu an had many children. He had 14 boys and 19 daughters. From Fatima radiallahu anha, the daughter of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who he married two years after the hijrah. Ali radiallahu anha had four children, 
Hassan radiyallahu an, Hussein radiyallahu an, Zainab al-Kubra and Umm Kulthum. And thereafter, he has other children as well. I can list them all out for you. However, there are one or two names that I think are important to point out. One of them is the daughter of Layla bint Mas'ud, whose name is Abu Bakr. And then he has a son from Sahba, who he named Umar al-Akbar. And then he has a son, Uthman, from Ummul Banin bint Hizam bin Khalid. Without going anywhere else, I just wanted to reflect on this. Because Ali radiallahu's story is a beautiful one. It's one full of richness and legacy, and there are so many amazing things to speak of. But we must address the elephant in the room because there are some people who make it seem as if the companions were very petty and they were constantly at, at crossroads with one another. Specifically, there is this grand scheme that is portrayed that when it comes to Ali radiallahu an, the other companions had conspired against him and in reality he had nothing but hate for them because most of them after the Prophet passed away were apostates. For those of you that are hearing this for the first time, must feel how ludicrous this claim is. And when you look at it from a technical perspective, beyond all the riwayat and all the narrations regarding their relationship, some of which we will cover together today inshallah, I wanted to start this conversation off by pointing out that Ali radiallahu an in his own children, he has a son by the name of Abu Bakr. He has another son by the name of Umar. He has another son by the name of Uthman. Among all the other sons. And there is no other way to wrap this reality. A person does not name their child after their enemy. They name their children after individuals that inspire them. Ali radiallahu an during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an plays a pivotal role, not in one department, but in many departments. Similarly, during the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an, Ali radiallahu an plays a very important role. Umar radiallahu an had given him freedom to review judicial matters. A lady was convicted of committing zina. So her case was presented to Umar radiallahu an during his khilafah. Umar radiallahu an had signed the verdict that she should be punished like this, this, and this. As they were taking her for the punishment, Ali radiallahu an saw the lady, he saw the people taking her, and he asked, where are you going? They said, we're going to uh, take her to, to carry out the punishment. Ali radiallahu an asked the lady some questions. He then said to her, that I will represent your case again. I will present your case again to Umar radiallahu an. He stopped everyone, dismissed all the people, went back to Umar radiallahu an with the lady, and he said to Umar radiallahu an that her punishment must be held off. He said, why? So Ali radiallahu an said, after further examining and asking questions, it has become clear this lady is pregnant. And her wrong cannot be extended over to the child. So all punishments, her entire case must be frozen until she delivers a child 
And she nurses the child for as long as the child needs, and then we can come back and revisit this issue. At that point, Umar radiallahu anh said, the very famous statement, لَوْلَا عَلِيٌّ لَهَلَكَ عُمَرٌ That had it not been for Ali, I would have been destroyed. I would have killed a child. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have held me accountable. Ali radiallahu anh is by the side of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once again throughout the Prophet's life. He married the daughter of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That marriage was one that everyone had their eyes open to see who would be the lucky one to wed the amazing, beautiful, noble daughter Fatima radiallahu anha, the last of his daughters that remained for marriage. The Prophet ﷺ had an interest in Ali radiallahu anhu too. All traits that a person looks for in a spouse existed in him. So now when it comes time for this marriage, for these people to come together, the Prophet ﷺ honors them and the companions honor them. The riwayat tell us that after the marriage was conducted, when it was time to send off Fatima radiallahu anha, to her new home, it was Aisha radiallahu anha and Umm Salama radiallahu anha who played the role in preparing the bride and also preparing the home that she would go to all the decorative needs. Ensuring everything was perfect and everything was taken care of in a proper manner. And then when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is sending off Fatima radiallahu anha, he sends along with her Umm Ayman she was a mother of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to accompany her. So Ma'iman radiallahu anha accompanies her. And together they walk to the house of Ali radiallahu anha. Ali radiallahu anha was a loving husband. He was kind and very caring and considerate. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam noticed that there was a dispute between Ali radiallahu anha and Fatima radiallahu anha, it bothered him, it disturbed him. He once came to visit his daughter and saw Ali radiallahu anh was absent. He asked her, where is Ali? She said, we had a dispute, so he stepped out. The Prophet ﷺ can't stand the pain that his daughter is going through in this moment. Like any wife would be disturbed after a dispute with their loving spouse. Things happen, but love doesn't disappear. So the Prophet ﷺ heads out of the house and begins to search for Ali radiallahu anh himself. He finds him sitting, lying in the corner of the masjid, on the ground. There was no carpet in the Prophet's mosque. So soil had smeared over his forehead. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam stood right in front of him and said, Qum ya Aba Turab, O father of the soil, because it had smeared on his head, stand up. Ali radiallahu anh took pride in this. When people would call him Abu al-Hasan, the kunya, uh, attributed to his son, he would say to them, no, call me Abu Turab. Because that was a name given to me by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He was by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa side in Badr and Uhud and all the great expeditions. And every time Ali radiallahu anh was in these expeditions, at the beginning of the battle, when it was time for the Mubarazah, for soldiers to come out from both sides to kindle the excitement of war, Ali radiallahu anh was the one that would stand in front of the enemy. He wasn't one to be in the back line. He had no fear in him. Asadullah, 
one of the lions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, referred to as Haydar, a lion. He once looked at Marhab, who was the um, respected and very tough soldier of Khaybar. And when they confronted one another, Marhab belittled Ali radiallahu anh, because Ali radiallahu anh in height wasn't the tallest. And he also looked very young. So Marhab said, I don't want to fight with a teenager, mocking him. Give me one of your great soldiers to face off. I am Marhab. So Ali radiallahu anh, cold eyes, stares him right in the face and he says, I am the one that when my mother gave birth to me, she held me and said, this is a lion, this is a lion. And I am sitting here waiting and I will pounce on my enemy and crush him. Exactly what Ali radiallahu anh did. In the battle of Uhud in the Mubaraza, Ali radiallahu anh is forward. In Khandaq, he is marking, he marks the, the boundary where the Muslims have, have um, dug out this trench and he is guarding it. One of the people from the, uh, the, the opposite side, the Ahzab, they cross the trench. Ali radiallahu anh stands in front of this Abdul Wad right away. And he says to him, go back. Because if you want, I will destroy you. And that's exactly what Ali radiallahu anh does. But at the same time, he was very composed. He remembered that what he did and why he did it was for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why he did it? There is a narration that once Ali radiallahu anh was in the battlefield and he took his opponent and brought him to the ground and was just about to thrust his dagger into him and the enemy spat in his face. In a moment like that, rage sets in and instead of going for one, you go for two, three attacks. Ali radiallahu anh walks away. The man says, why are you walking away? He says that my reason of combat with you is i'la'u kalimatillah. It's for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is a conflict. I was fighting for the sake of Allah and His Messenger. What you did to me right now, you made it personal. So there is no ajr in this action for me anymore. So I'm just going to walk away. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa took the Sahaba to fight in Khaybar, Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anh had an eye injury. There was something wrong with his eye. The Muslims continued to fight against the Jews of Khaybar. They had locked themselves into their forts and the Muslims didn't have much luck. Some time had passed by. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said to the companions, tomorrow I shall give the flag to someone who loves Allah and His Messenger and they love Him too. So the next day after Fajr Salah, Umar says, when the Prophet turned around to face the congregation, everyone was hoping they would be the one that the Prophet would give this honorable flag to. And Umar says, I, sit, I sat straight, putting, peeking my head high, hoping that the Prophet would see me and just give it to me. But Rasulullah was very calculated. And what he did and what he said was through revelation. So the Prophet of Allah carefully scanned the congregation and said, I don't see Ali. Where is Ali? They said, our Messenger of Allah, he has some injury. The Prophet ﷺ called for him. He had prayed Fajr Salah in his own tent. He arrives at the masjid. He sits in front of Rasulullah ﷺ, presents his ailment. Nabi ﷺ takes his saliva and rubs it on his eye, no need for any LASIK surgery. 
After that day, that eye of his never hurt again. No insurance, no follow-up. It's a miracle. Ali radiallahu anh, he he's feeling well. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says to him, take this flag and lead the Muslims into the battlefield. Ali radiallahu anh was so amped in that moment that the Prophet of Allah entrusted him that he made a conviction, he was clear that there would be nothing that would stand between him and victory. He took his soldiers and they sacked the, the, the fort. And in front of them there was this massive gate locked onto hinges, this thick, two feet thick door, this massive door. And he's trying to penetrate and they can't break it off. The riwayah says, Ali radiallahu anh grabbed the door, said Bismillah and just ripped it out. And he tossed it. A group of companions later on couldn't lift that door. But he did it. In that moment, he got all of his conviction together, all of his power, all of his focus. He said Allah's name and he just tore into it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Muslims victory that day in Khaybar at the leadership of Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala. When it comes to the treaty of Hudaybiyah, he is the one that's writing the treaty. And the Quraysh object to Rasulullah being next to the Prophet's name. We don't know Rasulullah. If you were Rasul of Allah, if you were the Messenger of Allah, why would we even be striking this treaty with you? So Ali radiallahu anh is told to remove Rasulullah next to the Prophet's name. And the narration says that Ali radiallahu anh said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, I can't do that. Because I really believe in you. You are a Rasul. This is his love for the Prophet When the Prophet is heading out for Tabuk and the army is ready, they're about to march. The Prophet of Allah says to Ali radiallahu anh, you will not join us. You're gonna stay behind. He says, O oh, Messenger of Allah, are you leaving me behind with the children and women? I am a soldier. I want to be in the front row. The Prophet then said, أَنْتَ مِنِّي بِمَنْزِلَةِ هَارُونَ مِنْ مُوسَىٰ إِلَّا أَنَّهُ لَا نَبِيَّ بَعْدِي Does it not please you to know that you are to me just as Harun was to Musa That when Musa left his community, his deputy in his absence was Harun However, the difference is Harun was a prophet غَيْرَ أَنَّهُ لَا نَبِيَّ بَعْدِي You are not a prophet because there will be no prophet after me. When the Prophet ﷺ sends the companions for the very first Hajj of Islam, prior to the farewell Hajj, Ali radiallahu anh is sent to read the announcements. He is kin, closely related to the Prophet ﷺ. When the Prophet ﷺ passes away, Ali radiallahu anh, along with other companions, he is from the people that are managing the affairs of the departure of Rasulullah the logistics surrounding that. Because he was that person. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anh, I think one of the best descriptions of his is found in a riwayah from Dhirar bin Dhamra. Abu Salih narrates, qala qala Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan, that Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan who by the way was someone during Ali radiallahu anh's life had conflict with Ali radiallahu anh. And it was a very severe conflict. 
bear in mind, continuing from our last class, Ali radiallahu anh's khilafah starts with the martyrdom of Uthman radiallahu anh. Things are very shaky. And all everyone wants is revenge on behalf of their martyred leader. Aisha radiallahu anh is calling for it. Muawiyah radiallahu anh, who is a relative of uh, Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anh, is asking for that revenge. And Ali radiallahu anh really has to manage all of this. One of the first things that he does is he relocates the Darul Khilafah from Medina Munawwara to Kufa. He makes that his base to ensure no disturbance will occur in the peaceful city of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There is a conflict between Ali radiallahu anh and Aisha radiallahu anh. Aisha radiallahu anha along with senior companions confronts Ali radiallahu anh. And this is a very powerful you know, interaction. As much as I'd like to cover it, it isn't really the focus of today's class. But what I will say is that as the matter is solved, the two armies confront one another and there is a truce between both sides, that there will be no battle, we will have an agreement. We will do X, Y, and Z things, this is, how, this is the game plan, this is how we will solve the issue, everyone head back. And as they're about to leave, there are these hypocrites who fired arrows from both camps on one another, instigating a battle, and it really riled people up because they were under the impression that there was a truce, which there was. Everyone was supposed to head home. Why were arrows fired after the truce? This is where things got heavy. And then one of these hypocrites specifically fired an arrow that just missed Aisha radiallahu anha. So the Muslims that were by her side, they went berserk. Ali radiallahu anh, his wisdom was such that he knew the only way to end this battle for Muslim blood to not be spilled was for him to remove Aisha radiallahu anha from the battlefield. If people knew that she was safe, they would all calm down. And that's exactly what he does. His wisdom. Then there's a conflict with Muawiyah radiallahu anh, which Ali radiallahu anh also solves through a truce. There was conflict, there was a battle. One of the darkest parts of our history, unfortunately. Because civil war is never something praiseworthy or something people are happy of. But even during this conflict, the two have so much love and respect for one another. Some narrations tell us, because on both sides were Sahaba, that they would be in conflict with, conflict with one another during the day and at night time when it was time for Salah, they would pray behind one Imam. They would have dinner together. There's a narration that Muawiyah sent Ali a question during the battle, an istifta. He needed a fatwa. That what is the ruling of the wiratha of a khuntha, hermaphrodite? So Ali radiallahu anh then gives an outline that in Islam we go by genitalia and also where they use the relieve themselves from, and therefore the ruling will be given accordingly, and then that fatwa is implemented. So they're interacting, they're engaging with one another. During their conflict, Imam Ibn Kathir narrates this incident. He says that, لم تزل فتوحات والجهاد قائما على ساقي في أيامي في أيامه في بلاد الروم والفرنج وغيرها. That during the Khilafah of Muawiyah radiallahu anh, 
the, and even before his time, you saw that the Muslim conquest, it grew. They conquered great portions of the um, Roman Empire and even beyond that. However, when there was a conflict between Ali radiallahu an and Muawiyah radiallahu an, during Ali radiallahu an's khilafah, the fourth khalifa, there's a conflict. Just a side note, Ali radiallahu an is khalifa for just under six years. During this period, there is a conflict between the two. First, the conflict is between Aisha radiallahu anha and Ali radiallahu an, which is referred to as the incident of the Jamal, the camel. And the second is the Sifin. This is between Ali radiallahu an and Muawiyah radiallahu an. When the conflict started between Ali radiallahu an and Muawiyah radiallahu an, all conquests paused. لَمْ يَقَعْ فِي تِلْكَ الْأَيَّامِ فَتْحٌ there was no conquest that happened during that time. Everyone stopped. لا على يديه ولا على يدي أبي طالب علي. Sorry. So in that moment, there was a Roman emperor. He saw the opportunity, and this was someone that Muawiyah radiAllahu anhu had previously defeated in battle. Muawiyah radiAllahu anhu was appointed in his position by Umar radiAllahu anhu. So he had been stationed in Sham in the Syria region for quite some years now. He had defeated the Romans again and again. So there was one particular Roman king who saw the opportunity. He amassed a large army and slowly started making his way close to the frontier of Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. فَكَتَبَ إِلَيْهِ مُعَاوِيَةً Muawiyah radiallahu anhu wrote a letter to him. وَاللَّهِ لَإِن لَمْ تَنْتَهِ وَتَرْجِعْ إِلَىٰ بِلَادِكَ يَا لَعِينَ لَأَصْطَلِحَنَّ أَنَا وَابْنُ عَمِّي عَلَيْكَ وَلَأَخْرُجَنَّكَ مِنْ جَمِيعِ بِلَادِكَ وَلَأُضَيِّقَنَّ عَلَيْكَ الْأَرْضَ بِمَا رَحُبَتْ فَعِنْدَ ذَلِكَ خَافَ الْمَلِكُ الرُّومُ وَانْكَفَ وَبَعَثَ يَطْلُبُهُ الْهُدْنَةِ Muawiyah radiallahu anhu wrote a letter to him. He said, O cursed individual, if you don't stop immediately all of your advancements and head back where you came from, I will immediately make truce with Ali radiallahu anhu and we're gonna tag teams a dunk against you. You ever seen the double volley? Or two people kick the ball at the same time. We'll come and tag team against you. You'll get like a, you'll, you'll feel both powers. And in one narration, he says to him, that I will make you back into the farmer you were a long time ago. I'll send you back to where you came from. And immediately the man stops all of his advancements and proposes a truce between the two. Ali radiallahu anh and Muawiyah radiallahu anh's disagreement ended with an agreement and truce. This is something, by the way, that really bothered some people. There was this extremist group that lived during the time of Ali radiallahu anh called the Khawarij. These were people who weren't interested in what Sharia actually was. They just wanted to take the letter of the law and implement it to its most extreme possibility. They went around calling everyone kafir. 
you're not Muslim, you're not Muslim, you're not Muslim, you're not Muslim. And throughout history, such groups have come and gone. Takfiri type groups. So these people, they were extremely mad that Ali radiallahu an and Muawiyah radiallahu an signed a treaty. And they viewed this treaty to be illegal. And so therefore, they jumped to the conclusion that because this treaty was illegal, both parties engaged in haram and are therefore both kafir. So they made it their life goal to attack Ali radiallahu anhu. Unfortunately, these were the people that ended up assassinating him too. After Ali radiallahu had departed from the world, Muawiyah radiallahu approaches one of the students of Ali radiallahu Dhirar bin Dhamura al-Kinani. He says to him, Sufli Aliyan, describe Ali radiallahu anhu. You were his student. Use your words to tell me who he was. So Dhirab bin Lamura was worried that this might be some political affair. There was a conflict between the two. So he sought to be pardoned from the task. So Muawiyah radiallahu anhu said, Bal Sifhu. No. Second time he said, I prefer to not be involved in this. Let me be. So Muawiyah radiallahu anhu said, I will not pardon you. You will not be excused. I want you to use your words, someone close to Ali radiallahu anhu, and tell me about Ali radiallahu So then, Dhirar bin Dhamra shares this beautiful description of Ali radiallahu anhu, probably one of the more famous descriptions of who he was. فَإِنَّهُ وَاللَّهِ كَانَ بَعِيدَ الْمَدَى He was a tall person, big person. But Mada doesn't necessarily mean tall, it means he was a big person. شَدِيدُ الْقُوَى Very solid and strong. يَقُولُ فَصْلًا When he spoke, his words were very clear and accurate. There was nothing left to be said after Ali radiallahu anhu was done. وَيَحْكُمُ عَدْلًا And when he passed verdicts, they were based on justice. Knowledge sprung forth from around him and he spoke wisdom. يَسْتَوْحِشُ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا وَزَهْرَتِهَا He was very afraid of and kept his distance, uncomfortable with the material world and its beauties. وَيَسْتَأْنِسُ بِاللَّيْلِ وَظُلْمَتِهِ He found comfort in the night and its darkness. كَانَ وَاللَّهِ غَزِيرُ الدَّمَعَ He was someone that cried a lot. طَوِيرُ fikra Spend a lot of time in reflection contemplation. يُعْجِبُهُ مِنَ الْلِبَاسِ مَا خَشِنْ He preferred garments that were coarse. وَمِنَ الطَّعَامِ مَا جَشِبْ And for food, he preferred that which was dry. He didn't like eating meals that were consistent of multiple components that bread and curry, just whatever was bare minimum. مَا جَشِبْ كَانَ وَاللَّهِ كَأَحَدِنَا He was one of us. When we asked him a question, he very simply and plainly would answer us. 
And when we approached him, he would greet us first. He would talk to us first. And when we invited him, he accepted our invitation. And even though we were very close to him, we would not speak to him out of fear of him. Because there was this awe that surrounded him, that he carried. And because of his greatness, we would not speak first, we would sit in front of him quietly. When he smiled, it was like this perfect necklace of pearls that had been put together. He gave preference to people of the deen, people of the religion. He had love for the poor. The strong among the people was not comfortable because they knew that he would hold them accountable. And the weak were not despondent because they knew he was a just person. that I saw Ali radiallahu an, and the night had gone dark. And in the darkness of the night, he was in his place of worship, holding on to his beard, turning side to side, and he was just crying, saying, O oh world, O oh world. Again, the material, such an important concept for him, the material world, all the beauty that it has to offer. He was very careful of it. Ya dunya, ya dunya, abi ta'arratti am ilayya tashawafti. Are you trying to present yourself and dangle your beauty before my eyes? To peek at me? Is that what you're trying to do? Hayhata, hayhata, away from me, away from me. Ghurri ghayri, go and deceive someone else. I know your reality. I have divorced you three times and there is no, com- there is no union between us. We will never be together. لا رجعتا فيك. We will never be together. We are gone. This relationship will not exist. فَعُمْرُكَ قَصِيرٌ Because I know about you. Your lifespan, O dunya, is very short. وَعَيْشُكَ حَقِيرٌ And your life, your existence is meaningless. وَخَطْرُكِ كَبِيرٌ And your dangers are great. آهٍ مِنْ قِلَّةِ الزَّادِ what a state am I in with so little provisions for this journey of mine. وَبُعْدِ safar. Look how long the path ahead of me is. وَوَحْشَةِ الطَّرِيقِ And I don't even know the path that I'm walking on. The narrator says, He looked up. فَقَدْ ضَرَفَتْ دُمُوعُ مُعَاوِيَةً حَتَّى خَرَّتْ عَلَى لِحْيَتِهِ Muawiyah الله عنه sat there crying with his beard soaked in his tears. فَمَا يَمْلِكُهَا وَهُوَ يُنَشِّفُهَا بِكُمْ بِهِ Without having any control of his tears, he was using 
the corner of his sleeve to wipe what was falling. And everyone is choked up in tears that's listening to this. May Allah's mercy be upon Ali radiallahu an. He was just as you described. Sayyidina Muawiyah asked Dhirar, how do you feel at the departure of your beloved? The grief, he said, I feel the grief. The pain of one whose child was slaughtered in their own lap. I don't know how to control these tears anymore. And as for the pain in my heart, I cannot tame it. Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu Ibn Abbas radiallahu says, ما انتفعت بكلام أحد بعد رسول الله كانتفاعي بكتاب كتب به إلي علي بن أبي طالب. That I never found anything more beneficial in my life than a letter that Ali رضي الله عنه wrote to me. فإنه كتب إلي for he wrote أما بعد فإن الأمر فإن المرأة يسوءه فوت ما لم يكن ليدركه ويسره درك ما لم يكن ليفوته. That a person, the nature of human beings is such that we get sad over missing out in life on things that was never ours to begin with. People are heartbroken. I wish I had married so-and-so. Why is that proposal not working out? Why did that job opportunity turn away? Why do I not have this relationship? Why do I not have that house? I wish these luxuries were mine. Young people, they, you know, they look at these shows of celebrities living their lives and their jaws are gaping and you know, they, they, they're, they're running through their reels and staring at these gorgeous mansions in the dunya with all the decorative pieces perfectly placed and all the light being perfect and all the angles and look at all the food being served and they look down and they're sitting in their dorm staring at a Subway sandwich. The veggie patty one, oh gosh. And a tear comes out. Man, my life sucks. Ali says a person spends their life upset about things that were never theirs. It wasn't written for you. Accepting that hurts a little. Because you really like those things and you wish they could be yours. But for us, we thank Allah <clears throat> that He gave us Iman. If we only understood the value of what we have, we would never desire those things at all. What would all of that mean if we didn't have Allah? What would be its value? When you end your day and you've prayed your salah, and you're reading your sunnah dua before you head off for the night and you've done your wudu, possibly facing the qibla lying on the right side with your hand under your cheek. Just take a moment and thank Allah that He gave you the opportunity to lie down like the Prophet of Allah. 
It may not be glamorous in the dunya, but the malaika in the heavens envy you. That man, look at this insan. Free will, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave this insan his love. People spend their life grieving over that which was never theirs. And then they find joy in that which was always meant to be theirs. That's the reality of life. So let your joy be connected to what you have gained in this world from your provisions of the hereafter. And let your grief be over that which has missed you, which you have failed to accomplish of the provisions needed in the hereafter. And what you do receive from this material world, وَمَا نِلْتَ مِن دُنْيَاكَ فَلَا تَكْثُرَنَّ بِهِ فَرْحَ Don't get too happy over it. وَمَا فَاتَكَ مِنْهَا فَلَا تَأْسَ عَلَيْهِ حُزْنَ And what you miss from this world, what misses you and what you don't end up getting in this world, don't be too sad over it. Make your goal in this world to prepare for فِيمَا بَعْدِ الْمَوْتِ which waits for you after your death. Such beautiful advice of Ali radiallahu This is the type of life he lived. Very simple, down-to-earth individual. The Prophet loved Ali radiallahu a lot. In one riwayah of Tirmidhi, when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam arrived to Medina Munawwara, and paired the companions together in brotherhood with one another. The line had ended, and two people remained, the Prophet of Allah and Ali radiallahu an. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him, Anta akhi fid dunya wal akhirah. You are my brother in this world, and also in the hereafter. Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi narrates from Ali radiallahu an, that one day Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam called me and he said, لا يحبه إلا مؤمن ولا يبغضه إلا كافر أنه قال لا يحبني إلا مؤمن ولا يبغضني إلا كافر The Prophet وسلم, said only a believer will love me So today we say Oh Allah we love Ali radiallahu and Hassan radiallahu and Hussein radiallahu and all of the Ahlul Bayt and the Azwaj Mutahharat and the companions and anyone that follows their path in righteousness, Allahumma ja'alna ma'ahum wa minhum. May Allah keep us with such people and allow us to be those people as well. When the Prophet ﷺ performed his farewell hajj, he brought along with him a hundred camels for sacrifice. A person sacrifices one animal at hajj. Nabi ﷺ brought along with him 100 camels. Out of which the Prophet sacrificed 63, and the remaining 37 he appoints Ali an to continue the task in his own place. This itself is a great honor. A matter of ibadah, the Prophet entrusts someone else, and the person that he chooses is Ali. The Prophet sent Ali. To Yemen as an educator and teacher. This happened prior to Hajjatul Wada. Ali radiallahu anhu was a little 
So he says, after that day, I had no doubt. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam made dua from ilm. After that day, there was no doubt left in me at all. When the Prophet Sallallahu arrived for the farewell hajj, the announcement was made that the Prophet will be performing his farewell hajj this year. Those who wish to join, have permission, meet us in Mecca. This message was sent out throughout the lands. At that point, when the Prophet of Allah departed from Medina and was headed down south to Mecca, Ali radiallahu anh was not with him on that journey. He was stationed in Yemen at that time. He gathers a few of his companions and some of the people there, and they begin their journey from Yemen, traveling up northwards. They meet together in Mecca. The Prophet sallallahu asks Ali radiallahu anh a question. Oh Ali, what type of ihram are you in? In Hajj there are different options. Which one are you doing? Ifrad, Qiran, Tamattu'? He said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, when I was entering into Ihram, I just said, O oh, Allah, I am doing whatever the Prophet's doing. SubhanAllah. Whatever the Prophet's doing, that's what I'm doing. Whatever that is, we'll figure it out. But whatever he's doing, I'm doing the same thing. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam pulled him in during their Hajj. Ali radiallahu anh told the Prophet of Allah, O Messenger of Allah, the people in Yemen gave me a hard time. They didn't listen to me. They, to a degree, were rebellious. And some of those people who gave Ali radiallahu anh this hard time were with him on that pilgrimage. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gathered all the Sahaba together. And they were there. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave this powerful lecture. And in this talk, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made it very clear that مَنْ كُنْتُ مَوْلَاهُ فَعَلِيٌ مَوْلَاهُ Whoever takes me as their mawla will also take Ali radiallahu anh as their mawla. Now mawla, this word is quite a, uh, it's a mushtarak al-alfad word. It's one word that can mean many things. Mawla could be someone that's beloved. Mawla can mean a friend. It could mean a helper. It could be someone who manages your affairs. It could refer to the master and the slave at the same time. The word mawla can mean many things. Therefore, in, our, in Persian culture specifically, they refer to the scholar as a mawlavi. Mawlavi, there we go. Mawlavi. Mawlana, they say. Mullah also comes from that same word, which refers to like a scholarly person, a leader of theirs. Some people say using this word Mawlana is haram because it means God and you're doing shirk. Calm down a little. <laughs> Everyone, take a few breaths, relax. There's no need to impose shirk on people. You know, if you're going to call someone a mushrik, maybe you should ask them their intent, specifically if they're using Arabic language that has the breath of accommodating multiple meanings in a single word. It's called Al-Fadh Mushrik. Go and read a usuli book, you'll see it. Right? You have Allah. And there are all different sorts of words used in the Arabic language. The Arabic language is full of flavor and full of all sorts of expressions. And the context of the word must be, the word must be translated based on its context. Who's worshipping their, their, their scholars? No one's worshipping them. They respect them. So therefore they use a title that displays that honor and that respect. 
Sometimes when people jump the gun and start saying bid'ah and shirk too quickly, you need to just tell them, Sallu ala nabi. Do some salawat, let's have some dates together. Let's take a few steps, calm down. And let's revisit these issues. Instead of imposing what you view to be what's happening, it's always good to ask people what's going on. And work your way from there. And if there is a need for a correction, fabiha, that's okay. Every situation is different. And if there is another perspective which is also acceptable, then let that be. Ali radiallahu anhu was a very courageous man. A person who believed in justice. People who say that Ali radiallahu anhu was forced into obedience by Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu and Umar radiallahu anhu and Uthman radiallahu anhu and they say that his silence in that moment and he did not claim his rightful position because he was practicing the virtuous form of lying, taqiyah. In essence, believe that Ali radiallahu anhu was a coward and could not stand for what he believed to be true. Which is such a fabrication and such a false attribution. Simply based off the fact that this Ali radiallahu anhu had no problem standing in front of Aisha radiallahu anha at Jaman. And he had no issue with standing in front of Muawiyah radiallahu anhu who governs the whole of Sham at the time at Safin. The Ali radiallahu anhu that had no problem walking into the court of Umar radiallahu anhu to make a correction, and when needed also voiced his disapproval to Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu When Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu became Khalifa, Ali radiallahu along with a group of companions that were close to him, did not come immediately to give their bayah. This is a true fact. Ali radiallahu anh, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anh approached him and said to him, Ali, everyone's eyes are locked onto you. You are the family of the Prophet of Allah. If you hold out, what will people think? What are they, underst- what are they gonna understand? They will be divided in the ummah. What caused the delay in you giving bayah? So Ali radiallahu anh, he gave a few reasons. He gave three reasons, Sahih wa'ya. The first thing, he said, after the Prophet of Allah passed away, we of the family members were occupied in preparations in managing these personal affairs. Number two, since the Prophet of Allah passed away, my wife and the Prophet's daughter, Fatima radiallahu anha, has fallen severely ill. I have been busy looking after her affairs. And the third thing, he said, Abu Bakr, those say that Ali radiallahu anha was into religious lying, whatever that means, that he had, didn't have the spine to speak the truth, then explain this to me. In that moment, he says to Ali, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, Sayyidina Abu Bakr, I am also not convinced by why we, the family members of the Prophet of Allah, were not consulted when the Khalifa was appointed. Why were we not consulted on the matter? How was the Khalifa appointed without us being a part of that? Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu then says to him that everything was rolling out so quickly and there was this point that if we did not take action immediately, the ummah would have fractured. So a decision had to be made there and then and there could be no pause on this. The momentum was built up, a decision had to be made. Ali radiallahu anhu accepted this. And how we know he accepted it is because he took bay'ah at his hands then. 
He then pledges his oath of allegiance to Ali to Abu Bakr Siddiq Ala kulli hal, regardless, there's one particular story of Ali that I wanted to share today, and then we'll close off with the final moments of his life. Ali radiallahu an saw a Jewish man carrying his armor. He said to the person, this is my armor. So the individual said, no it's not, it's mine. Bear in mind, he is the Khalifa, and this individual that he is in dispute with is an average citizen. A non-Muslim Jewish citizen. The man says to him, look, you can fight this case in court, and if the judge says I have to give it to you, I'll give it to you, otherwise it's going to stay as mine. They approach a great Qadi of the time, Qadi Shuraih. He was a very knowledgeable man who had a deep insight when it came to uh, fiqh and Islamic law. Qadi Shuraih reviewed the case, and as his procedure, as per procedure, he demanded proof from Ali radiallahu anhu. In Islam, al-bayyinatu ala al-mudda'i wal-yameenu ala mudda'a alayhi aw wal-yameenu ala man ankar. That if someone makes a claim, they have to provide proof for it. I can't just walk around taking people's belongings and say they belong to me. The dispute will be presented to a judge, the judge will ask for proof. So the judge, Qadi Shuraih, said to Ali radiallahu anhu, show me proof. Ali radiallahu anhu presented some witnesses. He presented a servant of his, whose name is mentioned as Qambal. Qadi Shurih says, He is your servant. I have no doubt in you as an individual. But the condition in my law is that no slave or freed servant can testify on behalf of his master. There is incentive for him to speak a false statement. So he disqualifies him. He then, Ali radiallahu anhu then presents his son. The grandson of Rasulullah Qadi Shuraih again says to him that he cannot testify on your behalf because in my court I do not allow a son to testify for his father. Ali radiallahu anh is out of proof. He turns to the Jewish man and says, are you willing to take an oath? That guy says, sure. He takes an oath. Qadi Shuraih signs a document. Case dismissed. You can go home and walk away with your armor. Ali radiallahu anh leaves the court empty-handed. The Jewish man was so impacted by everything that just happened. How Ali radiallahu anh remained composed, how he didn't throw a tantrum, how he didn't fight, how he didn't, how he didn't you know, disregard the command of his own appointed judge and didn't sack him or replace him or go on some smear campaign against him, rather he submitted to it. And in that moment, he comes to Ali radiallahu anh and says to him that on the way to Sufin, you dropped your armor and I picked it up. This actually belongs to you. And I am so surprised and impressed by what this deen has to offer, that an average citizen like me and the Khalifa, you, are the same in the court of Islam. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah 
وَأَشَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدٍ عَبْدَهُ وَرَسُولُ Such was the temperament of Ali رضي الله عنه. I mentioned the khawarij. This was unfortunately a big problem during the time of Ali رضي الله عنه. During his life, there were these two groups that he had to balance. There was one group of people who loved him so much and they fabricated and made up stuff about him. They called him God. Ali radiallahu anh, and they referred to themselves as the group of Ali. Shi'atu Ali, the group of Ali. Ali radiallahu anh, the extreme of them, he was very upset with them. And those who claimed for him to be God, he actually executed them. And not just executed them, it was in a very harsh manner. Something that there is a big scholarly discussion around that why is it that Ali radiallahu anh took this approach when punishing them? The people who exaggerated regarding his, his rank. Harraqahum finnaq. The second group of people, so these were one people who loved him beyond all limits with exaggeration. And on the other hand, you had people who really hated his guts. The Khawarij. They did not like Ali radiallahu anh. Ali radiallahu anh, once he solved the affair with Aisha radiallahu anh and Muawiyah radiallahu anh, he spends the last part of his Khilafah dealing with this extremist group, the Khawarij. And there are multiple decisive battles that took place. And in each of them, Ali radiallahu anh broke them. He crushed them in the battlefield. Basically killing their momentum and preventing them from ever becoming anything more than scrambled bits that are just lying on the ground like broken eggshell. They were so hurt by this that they made one last plan. A group of them gathered together and said, there are three sources of fitra that must be dealt with otherwise we we the Muslims, you know, always that exclusive language, right? Extremist language. We the Muslims will not be able to live pure and proper Islam. This extremist group of people always have this idealized version of Islam that they have in their mind, right? That's picked from certain places in history, that's based off of certain very carefully selected texts, and their purpose of existence is to implement that regardless of what other scholars or other people or other sahaba even have to say. Ibn Abbas he has to deal with his khawarij. Ibn Umar has to deal with the khawarij. And these people completely disregard Ibn Umar and Ibn Abbas. And when it comes to these sahaba, these, they said we have to get rid of three people. Three people must be removed and then we can come back into power. The first of them, Ali radiallahu The second, Muawiyah radiallahu The third, Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu One is in Sham, Kufa, Mecca. So they make this plan that each person will leave this meeting. Three people will have the task of uniting, of assassinating their own individual target. And we will attack them all at once. The 21st of Ramadan, after Fajr Salah. Each person head to your city, head to your target, study your target, mark their path. That morning, when they're headed for Fajr Salah, attack your target and kill them. We will all then regroup 
and hopefully these three men will be dead. They head off to their posts. Ibn Wuljim heads to Kufa. And he very carefully studies Ali radiallahu anhu's routine and schedule. Abdurrahman ibn Muljim. He sees on the 21st, 21st of Ramadan after Fajr Salah, Ali radiallahu anhu is headed towards the masjid. And in that moment, he pounces on Ali radiallahu anhu, strikes him, and martyrs Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. It was a Friday. What day exactly was it of Ramadan? One narration tells us it was the 17th of Ramadan, another one tells us the 21st of Ramadan. There is some scholarly dispute on the exact date. Ali radiallahu an at that time was in his late 50s. Some narrations emphatically say he was 58, while others say he was 57, and then there are other opinions here too. He was caught and later on punished as well. Ali radiallahu an was then buried. His janazah salah was led by his son. Family members that were close to him washed his body. However, after he was buried, there are reports that tell us that some of his family members, out of fear that the khawarij would come and try to desecrate his body, they dug his body out. The family members dug his body out and relocated it. Where did they relocate it to? Some say they took it to Egypt. Others say they took it to another place. Some narrations say they loaded Ali anhu's body onto a camel and right when they were about to start moving, the camel ran off with the body. So the actual burial place of Ali anhu is greatly disputed. I think in the Middle East, there may be a, like at least a handful of countries that all claim he is buried there. I have some jokes to say, but it's inappropriate because we're talking about Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib anhu's passing. But the joke was not about his passing, it's more about how everyone just jumps to the front to claim that he is there, even though the probability of him being buried in some of these places is extremely slim. So this is a person, an individual who lived his life in service of the deen, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him shahada at his death. From his birth to his passing, everything about him was special. People, they say, that Sunni Muslims don't have love for Ahlul Bayt. This is false. Imam Shafi'i rahmatullahi alayhi said, That if loving the family of the Prophet of Allah makes you a Rafidi or a Shia, then I am one of them too. Because I love the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And every time we pray salah, we say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad. Right from his birth. 
The Ahl al-Sir, right? When Ali radiallahu anhu was born, there's a narration that tells us he was born in the Kaaba. Now there are multiple possibilities here. One possibility is that when they say he was born in the Kaaba, here the word Kaaba is used to refer to not the Kaaba itself, rather it's used to refer to the Haram, the surroundings of the Kaaba. We see in the Quran, Allah says, Hadiyam baligh al Kaaba. No one takes their animal directly to the Kaaba. Hadiyam baligh al Kaaba means Haram, the Haram boundary, near surrounding the Kaaba. Similarly, Allah says, is permissible for people whose family who are not whose family are not in Masjid al-Haram. Clearly, it doesn't mean their family is living inside the Masjid. Masjid al-Haram, the word Kaaba, Haram, are interchangeably used. Again, I was telling you guys earlier, when you're reading the Quran, you have to read it with context. You can't just pull out a dictionary. Allah says, The Mufassirun translate Masjid al-Haram, they're also as Haram. So, as for Ali radiallahu anh being born in the Kaaba, most scholars say this means he was born near the Kaaba, in that Haram area. And if he was born right at the Kaaba, a second possibility could be that there was a practice for women who had very severe and difficult uh, pregnancies that when it would come time for them to birth, their family would bring them close to the Kaaba for barakah, to facilitate that birth. Another possibility there. So right from his beginning, a young age, spends those days with Rasulullah years in the Prophet's house, being raised and growing up, marrying the Prophet's daughter, being by the Prophet's life, his entire life. If we were to summarize and maybe pull a few lessons from Ali radiallahu anhu's life, it would be his love and commitment to Rasulullah His commitment to this deen. Not afraid to take on sacrifice and standing for the truth no matter what the cost was, a person of great knowledge and wisdom. His zuhd really stood out. He stayed away from all luxuries of this world. Being a leader or being a soldier or just being a companion of the Prophet of Allah, a lesson that he had learned from the Prophet of Allah May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to learn from his example in life and Allow us to benefit from the stories of these great legends and Sahaba. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.